Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. With us today on Catholic Baltimore is Ken Canito, and we will be talking about his two books on the history of contemporary Catholic music, Keep the Fire Burning and From Mountains High. Ken Canito is a liturgical composer and author, and he writes frequently for today's liturgy planning magazine. He served as a columnist for ministry and liturgy. His liturgical music has appeared in various hymnals and missals since 1978. He travels widely as a workshop presenter, but he still serves as pastoral musician and RCIA team member for his home parish, Holy Trinity Church in Beaverton, Oregon. Welcome to the show, Ken. Well, thank you, Chris. Great to be here. Can you start with a brief introduction to Catholic folk music? Most people assume it started after the Second Vatican Council's reforms of the liturgy, but in Keep the Fire Burning, you note that people really started writing what could be considered folk music for the Mass even before the Council. Oh, that's correct. The uh, so-called Catholic folk music became very popular after, after it was discovered and published by Catholic publishers, but various composers or future composers like Ray Rep or Paul Quinlan were experimenting with the folk music uh, song form as a way to uh, express their love of scripture or their thoughts, uh, the spiritual thoughts at the time. They were young men, they were seminarians, uh, there were some nuns in, involved in this group too. And of course you have to remember that in the late 50s, early 60s, there was a folk music revival in the United States, the Kingston Trio, Peter, Paul, and Mary. So that was inspiring uh, the seminarians and religious of the time. It seemed like a natural thing for them to use that style of songwriting to express what they were feeling spiritually. And how were those secular artists a big influence on the early years of, of Catholic folk music? Well, it, it's interesting. I think um, sacred music has always been inspired through the centuries by what was happening culturally at the time, even as far back as the Middle Ages and the Gregorian chant um, and hymnody that Martin Luther developed in the 1500s, uh, the secular music scene has always brushed up against the sacred music scene, whether the sacred music folks liked that or not. And it became very pronounced in the 1950s and 60s because of the immense popularity of such groups as the Kingston Trio and Bob Dylan. And the thing about folk music was that it was very accessible. If you knew how to play a guitar and had a fairly good singing voice, then automatically you could gather a group of people around you and have a sing-along, a hootenanny, they used to call it. It was a very empowering thing for college students at the time to just get together informally and sing, and and these songs sang about the issues of the day, blowing in the wind, uh, things like that. Uh, and so that kind of social consciousness and that easy accessibility of the folk music and the singability of it seemed just the right vehicle as the Second Vatican Council was uh, reforming the liturgy and entrusting and empowering the people in the pews to participate 
in this sacred riot. It's like what they call the perfect storm of all the conditions coming together at just the right time. So in some ways, the, the folk music that was written in the 60s and 70s was contemporary to that time the same way as J.S. Bach was contemporary to his time, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And just the same way as uh, today's music, uh, uh, rap and all that is contemporary to the youth of today. In the late 60s and early 70s, some people either seemed to love the folk mass or the guitar mass or whatever the parish called it, or they hated it. Why was that? And is that still the case today? You know, when when uh, Ray Rapp and all those folk mass composers uh, became popular, naturally it, it struck a chord, so to speak, with the young generation. But it was shocking uh, to older folks and uh, people who love the traditional expressions of liturgy. But, of course, it was going to be polemic. You either loved it or hated, hated it. As I noted in my first book, Keep the Fire Burning, there was no middle ground. Um, right. If there was a middle ground, and I guess the parishes that, that started their folk masses were right in the middle of it. And, and uh, that it, what happened was uh, in the 1960s, you started having the mass schedule in the parish demarcated between the folk mass and a traditional mass or a silent mass and all that. So... The parishes typically in the larger cities had like several masses on a weekend schedule, and, and people could pick and choose whatever style of music or style of liturgy they wanted to go. So that seemed to be a way to, you know, placate uh, the congregation, so to speak, so they didn't get divided. They just simply went to the mass time that, that spoke to them. I think that's still the case today. If it if the folk mass was uh, polarizing the 60s and 70s, I think it's perhaps even more so today, although we don't call it folk mass. I prefer to refer to it as contemporary Catholic music. Right. And it's just as polarizing today. I think part of that is uh, the rise of social media and how easy it is for people to express their opinions. We didn't have that tool in the 1960s. And, of course, social media just... Uh, gathers like-minded people together and became very, very vociferous uh, in their views. An important issue today, yeah. It is. And I know that in the early 70s, uh, after the liturgical reforms of the council, we had a pastor who was not a fan of the changes. And so the, the handshake of peace, the kiss of peace, he just skipped it. He went right from the, the, the doxology after the Our Father into the Lamb of God without even you know giving people a chance to, to do that. And I know that when the parish did have a, a folk mass or a guitar mass, he didn't want to be the celebrant, but there were two or three other priests on, on staff who could do that. Uh, so it, it was interesting to see that, how that has changed. And I think you're right now, even the, the parish that I belong to now has, you know, a silent mass at 7.30 in the morning. They've got a contemporary mass at another time and, and, a, and a full choir mass at another time. So they, they kind of are, are have a lot of different styles available to people. I remember when I worked in Chicago, we had a story about a campus ministry at a, at a secular university that had had a jazz mass. And I got an irate call from a, a listener saying that, you know, you can bet Jesus didn't have jazz at the Last Supper. And I said, <laughs> you're right, ma'am, but neither did they sing, Holy God, we praise thy name. <laughs> and that kind of ended the conversation. But I think there's, there's that idea that there's a lot of different ways to express our our worship in a lot of different kinds of music, 
And uh, you wonder how we can make sure that the, the church is welcoming enough to everybody, no matter what style of music. Have you found that in your research and in your work over the years that there are ways to make uh, music available to people so they can be comfortable wherever they are? Uh, uh, yes. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of separating congregations by style. In just about every parish I've been blessed to serve in, we've taken care to uh, make sure that the music reflects uh, the universal tastes of the Catholic Church. So, for example, my youth choir at my parish now, Holy Trinity in Beaverton, Oregon, uh, will do a lot of the contemporary music, but when the occasion calls for it, for example, during Lent, we'll sing some of the Latin chants. Mm -hmm. Uh, During Christ the King coming up, the Solemnity of Christ the King, our youth choir will be singing Yesu, Joy of Man's Desiring. It's a tradition of ours. And I'm I'm finding the young people love singing the traditional music. At the same time, I'm finding that uh, senior citizens uh, love the contemporary music. And I asked uh, uh, a senior citizen in my parish once uh, why she loved coming to the youth mass. And she said, Ken, I love the music, I love the spirit, because it's telling me that my church is going to continue after I'm gone. That was powerful. Very, very powerful. So, yeah. Well, after the break, um, we're going to talk some more with Ken Canito about contemporary Catholic music. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Father John Jack Lombardi has led dozens of lengthy walking pilgrimages in Maryland and abroad, mostly promoting religious liberty. In response to the clergy abuse crisis, the Hancock-based pastor will lead a 50-mile pilgrimage for the priesthood in penance and prayer, originating in Emmitsburg November 9th and concluding in Baltimore November 11th. The pilgrimage precedes the fall meeting of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops November 12th through the 14th in Baltimore, where the clergy abuse crisis tops the agenda. We're called as Christians and Catholics, Father Lombardi said, to do penance. As a priest, I feel a responsibility for my brother priest in the United States and around the world. Father Lombardi is pastor of St. Peter in Hancock and St. Patrick in Little Orleans. The pilgrimage will begin November 9th with 8.30 a.m. Mass at St. Joseph in Emmitsburg and conclude November 11th with a 4.30 p.m. Mass at the Baltimore Basilica. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. Archbishop William E. Lurie said he expects the U.S. bishops to set aside most of their regular agenda for the upcoming fall meeting here, November 12th through the 14th. Instead, he thinks the bishops will open their meeting with extended prayer. I think it's the most foundational step, he said. We have to take a day of reparation and penance. The archbishop said the bishops will focus mostly on taking a few practical steps, which will serve as the beginning of a longer process of restoring trust in the wake of the ongoing clergy sexual abuse crisis. Those steps include putting into place a national third-party reporting system for allegations against bishops and the development of a code of conduct for bishops, he said. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm George Matisek. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time. 
The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to The Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice a week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow The Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. We're back on Catholic Baltimore talking with Ken Canito about his books on the history of Catholic folk music. Keep the Fire Burning was the first book, and From Mountains High was published this year by Pastoral Press of Portland, Oregon. Ken, is contemporary Catholic music still all just about having a guitar? Uh, how has the music and the composers and the music leaders, how have they evolved over the decades? Well, that's an excellent question, Chris. Uh, when we think of the term folk mass, we immediately think about several acoustic guitars strumming the same strum at the same time with right, uh, four right. chord songs, simple songs. But as the uh, composing has matured and as the participation of the musicians has matured, it's, beyond, it's gone beyond uh, just strumming guitars. And as amplification has improved, for example, we needed to have several acoustic guitars strumming the same strum back in the day because there weren't sound systems back then. That was the only way to get volume was, was to have tons of guitarists. But now it's actually uh, we're actually able to uh, play some very intricate and beautiful uh, guitar picking uh, some of these songs. And the piano has become the dominant instrument in contemporary Catholic music. It's no longer the guitar. Contemporary Catholic music is grounded by the piano. Uh, occasionally you get some parishes where they also use the organ or at least a synthesizer that sounds like the organ to, to uh, complement the contemporary choir. And you have some who supplement that with a, with a bass and with drums and violin or flute or something like that. So you, you have some ways to add those other instruments in. Absolutely, absolutely. It's kind of like the organ has different stops that imitate the sound of flute or trumpet. And now, the contemporary choirs, we actually have the flute and the trumpet instead of it being imitated by a keyboard. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, enables more participation. You know, Rather than just one organist, we have an ensemble now of several people who are sharing their gifts of the liturgy. That's a great way to look at it. There are some people... Ken, who criticize contemporary Catholic music for not being holy enough. And they, and they go back to saying, well, you know, holy God, we praise that name, and, you know, uh, all of those kinds of tunes that we sang from the 1950s on. A lot of the music that's written today for Catholic worship, though, is very much based in Scripture. Why is it hard for some people to see that and to understand just how mature, as the, the word you used uh, before, how much more mature that songwriting has gotten? Well, I think there's an element of people's comfort zone involved in liking or not liking contemporary music. You started this conversation by asking about holiness. What is holiness? Who are we to judge whether someone 
or something is holy, uh, it ultimately comes down to uh, God's view of that person. And we can't judge whether someone is holy or not. What's at stake here, what's at the underlying principle is our relationship with Jesus. That's what makes us holy. So this music, this contemporary music, starting with Ray Rep and going on to the St. Louis Jesuits and to the composers of today, was all, at least on the Catholic side, was all composed for use in the liturgy. They didn't compose these things um, to fulfill some quota because their publisher made them do it. All these composers, for the most part, are involved in their parishes or communities, and they were writing for the needs of the liturgy. That's holy. If you're writing for the sacred liturgy and you're conscientious about that and you're using scripture and you're using the official text of the Mass and you're trying to get the people to sing and inspire them to pray, that's holy. Who are we to judge whether that's holy for me or not? I mean, you know, I see the work of the Holy Spirit in this contemporary uh, music movement. Who are we to judge the work of the Holy Spirit? So Mm -hmm. a lot of it, a lot of people's uh, like or not like of this music is subjective, really. Right. Subjective. I did hear that shortly after the prayers in the liturgy changed in 2011, that they said that actually congregations could learn the words to the Gloria much more easily if they were set to music than if they were reciting them. What is that about music that helps us do that, helps us retain what those prayers are and, and how that is part of our, our worship? Yeah, that's interesting you bring up the the recent text changes of 2011. <laughs> I've actually been at some liturgies where um, we weren't supposed to sing the glory to God, but a guest priest, thinking that it was, was supposed to sing the Gloria, uh, suddenly just started reciting it, glory to God in the highest. And... I've observed our congregation stumble upon reciting it, and they rush to pick up their missalettes and flip to the page where the words are. And yet, in those masses where we sing the glory to God, people sing it from heart. So yes, you know, the, the official text set to music enable us to come together in unity to sing those texts in a in a well-known melody that the congregation knows, and uh, and it adds an element of beauty to those texts. Those texts are meant to be sung. That is, the highest form of prayer is uh, to sing the official text uh, during the sacred liturgy. So, uh, yeah, that's an, uh, interesting to observe, yeah, the stumbling yeah. of the rec- recitation of the glory to God. You know, so. mm. And it's certainly if we go back to the Psalms even there, you know, the, the Psalms tell us praise the Lord with song and cymbal and harp. So using music in the liturgy and worship of God goes back to before Jesus' time. Doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, in fact, I, I can't cite the exact place in the Gospels now, but I, I believe that after they, uh, the Last Supper and they went on to the Mount of Olives, there's a passage that says uh, they sang a hymn, the apostles sang a hymn of praise. So music's very much a part of he- the Hebrew culture, which is our roots, mm-hmm. definitely. Who are the trendsetters in contemporary Catholic music today? You know... I touch upon this in my uh, second book, From Mountains High. Towards the end, I start talking about composers like Marty Hagen, David Haas, Bob Hurd. Those are 1980s composers. As we move into the 1990s, 
and the 2000s, uh, we got such composers as uh, Christopher Walker, uh, Bernadette Farrell, and a lot of the uh, contemporary composers, Tom Booth, Steve Angosano, Sarah Hart, who, uh, whose music is more geared towards uh, youth with the youth ministry and very effectively used at youth conferences and in the liturgy for those parishes that uh, like that style of music. So uh, I don't like to use the word trendsetters because it, it makes the liturgy seem... You know, something that is uh, subject to the styles of the day. I think contemporary composers, if they respect the traditions of sacred music, the traditions of the church, uh, you'll 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 find a number of our contemporary composers. I think Curtis Stephen, for example, who composed not only in a uh, syncopated with a beat style that young people like, but also composed a lot of traditionally based music. Stephen published something that's kind of based on Pontius Angelicus, for example. Very beautiful. So I, I hesitate to say who's trendy, because the sacred liturgy is timeless and not trendy. But nevertheless, our contemporary composers reflect spirituality of today and where people are today in today's society and world. Mm-hmm. So Keep the Fire Burning covered the folk mass revolution. From Mountains High covered contemporary Catholic music from 1970 to 1985. Is there going to be a third book covering the next uh, segment of time? Uh, yes. I, mean, I, I don't want to make any uh, public announcements, yes, but I'm currently working on books three and book four. Okay. I, okay. I, I do want to uh, cover from 1985 to 2000. There's a lot of good, great new music that happened in that time period. But I need more time to pass in order to to be subjective about that. Um, so while I'm doing research and interviewing composers and people for the 1985 to 2000 era, I'm going back to the time of the council and taking a critical and loving look at the non-guitar composers who are largely in danger of being forgotten now. Such mm-hmm. composers as, as uh, Joseph Jalano, Lucien Dess, Richard Prue. I mean, these are all organ-based, choral-based composers who wrote absolutely stunning music. And very influential. And very influential. Oh, very influential. Yeah. And, and we're, they're in danger of being forgotten. And I want to make sure they get their due also so today's generation will learn and appreciate their music. Well, where can people get your book, Keep the Fire Burning and From Mountains High? Well, you can get it directly from the publisher going to uh, Oregon Catholic Press, ocp.org, and they're also available on Amazon. Just uh, enter my name or enter the titles of those books in the search mode of Amazon. You'll find the link there, too. And if you are entering that into a search box, it's Ken Canedo, C-A-N-E-D-O. And we have been talking today with Ken Canedo about the history of contemporary Catholic music from the 1960s until today. Thank you so much for being with us today, Ken. Well, thank you, Chris, for having me. God bless you and your ministry there at Baltimore. Thank you so much. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. 
New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks, and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.